0: Welcome to Top of Mind, the show where we talk to real estate industry insiders and experts about the biggest trends impacting the market today. Enjoy the show. All right, Mike Simonson
1: here. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to the Top of Mind podcast. This is where I talk to the smartest leaders, thinkers and doers in the real estate industry. For a a few years now, we've been sharing the latest market data every week in our Altos research weekly video series uh, with our now new top of mind podcast. So we're looking to add some context to the discussion about what's happening. So each week, Altos tracks every home for sale in the country, all the pricing. We do all the analytics on supply and demand and all the changes in that data. Uh, And when we make it available to you before uh, it becomes uh, available in the traditional Data channels. So visit altosresearch.com for more on the data and what we do at Altos Research. So speaking of leaders in the industry, I am thrilled to introduce my guest today, Bill McBride. Bill is a housing market expert and the author of the popular economics blog, Calculated Risk. This is uh, one that Paul Krugman, Nobel laureate Paul Krugman of the New York Times, called his go-to website for housing matters bill may be best known for accurately predicting the housing bubble in 2005 and the bottom of housing prices in early 2012 and you know bill and i bill Welcome to the show. You and I go back away to that, that 2005 time when we both started, I started Altos research, January one of 2006 and started blogging along that time. And you were one of the very first people who are in the space blogging at that time and communicating about what you were seeing. And so welcome to the show. And I I just, I'd love to start with like, tell us about the, the origin of calculated risk, the blog and your background before that. Like, how did
0: we get here? Well, thanks so much for having me, Mike. It's a real pleasure. You know, I, I looking back, because now what is, I think this is my 18th year. You know, in 2004, I was reading about blogs and I thought, well, what, what the heck are these things? You know, and one of the, the best ways to uh, understand something is just to do it. And so I said, well, I'm going to start a blog. And so I started it in January of 2005. But then, you know, you have to think about, well, what do you want to write about? And one of the th- one of the things I've always been interested in is economics. I w- had retired from a high tech company as a senior executive, and and I I said, well, you know, I'm going to write about economics, and especially about the thing that scares me the most, housing. So right away I started coming out, you know, I think there's a housing bubble here, and and I think there's something strange going on with the lending, and. Uh, and it, it was, I think, in the middle or summer of 2005 that I started saying, you know, if this really goes south, we could have a real financial crisis, because there's going to be so much losses associated with it. So, you know, that's that's really kind of the origin of the blog. I started writing about economics, economics in general, and I still do that. But my focus is always on housing. And I grew up in a, uh, my dad was a real estate agent and then a, then a home builder. So I think he... Would still like to be doing it. He's he's ninety nine now, but uh, but yeah. So I've always kind of had an interest in housing, even though I didn't follow any footsteps. I, and and I'm more focused on the economics, the macroeconomics of housing, as opposed to what my dad was doing was putting up sticks. You know.
1: Yeah, that's right. So wow. So you're and you're in Orange County. Yeah. So Southern California is a ground zero of the bubble, the housing bubble, and the financial aspect of the, the housing bubble, like right there. And did you grow
0: up there? I grew up in San Diego, but I've lived in Orange County for a long time. You know, I have to—I have to say, I—I I was at the gym working out in 2004, and there was this uh, cute girl that would frequently work out next to me, and we'd chat. And one day she came in. She goes, "Hey, Bill, I—I I bought a house." Now I knew what she had. What she did for a living. Uh, she was young. She was. You know, it's a fairly low paid job. And she started telling me about this four hundred thousand dollar condo that she had just bought. And I'm thinking, didn't you tell me you're making like forty grand a year? And how does that work? And so she started telling, well, you can you can get all the money you want, you know for free. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's it was really that conversation. I went home and I called some of the mortgage brokers I knew, and they said, "Oh, Bill, you, know, you know, we can get you whatever you want. <laughs> just name your number.
1: <laughs> Amazing.
0: That doesn't sound right. And then you know, I kept running into these guys at the gym. You know, they had the spiky hair, and they look right out of that movie, uh, of *The Big Short*. You know, uh-huh. those, those two mortgage brokers he interviewed down in Florida. Yeah, they look just like those guys. And they were, and one guy was driving a Ferrari, and you know, and they were just going, "Hey, any any equity in your house, man? That's dead money. You've got You got to pull all that out and buy more, build an empire." i said okay i think i'm gonna
1: write about it that's that's really it's and it's and the you know the thing that's that is powerful was powerful about your position is so many of the rest of us looked at that and said you know what am i doing wrong like i was at the time you know i was silicon valley startup exec you know and and making good money in my early 30s but still you know, I'm living in this tiny little overpriced house, and you know, you see friends who are like a high school teacher in Vegas with four houses and driving BMWs, and, and I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Yeah. It's, and, and so it, you, I start questioning myself, and so many of us do, as opposed well, there, to questioning the, like what was going on in the world.
0: Well, there, there is that fear of moving, of missing out. And, and, uh, and a lot of people had that, you know, Hey, if I don't do this, you know, I'm going to really miss out. Uh, we might be seeing a little of that today. And, you know, luckily we, we always have to say that lending standards are much better today. So when I, every time I dig through the lending standards today, there's some areas that I'm a little concerned about, but it's nothing like what we saw in 2004, 2005. Uh, it was just ridiculous. And, right. and uh, so, you know, I, when I I was telling one of the other housing analysts last week, I was going, "Yeah, I'm looking at the credit, but that's kind of like fighting the last war." You know, we, we're not. If, if it was, if we were really seeing a problem in the credit markets, a lot of people would be all over it right now, and and we're not. You know, we're seeing some overall. evidence good.
1: That's you know that's a a, a great point that you know we deal with every day. Is that you know we went through this big housing crisis. It was a you know it was a credit. Uh, Driven bubble and crash, and so we look at the world through the lens. And and you know, when I publish data on on the housing market that is continuing to like boom, there are a lot of people, a lot of comments, a lot of social media comments who who say who are ready, who have been planning for the next collapse through the lens of the last one, the fighting the last war problem. So the question is, what? what's, what's the next war? What is the, what, you know, when we look forward, what's the risk that we, that we, sh- that we should be seeing or what, that, or, you know, what, what's the, the, what's the next war? What's the front <laughs> for that one? Do you have, do well, you have or ideas about what that might be?
0: Yeah, I do. Well, for, first, you know, like last year, delinquency sky with the, with the, uh, you know, the pandemic and people were just going into forbearance and, and forbearance is, is actually a, a relatively painless process if you come back out of it and, and i think the lenders did a great job the people come back out they just added a year or whatever on to the end of their loan, and the people start making they get their jobs back they start making the payments again and and i, I never saw that as a big problem but i know that that uh, a lot of people did oh hey we were going back into this delinquency thing again we're going to have all these you know houses in foreclosure no that's not going to happen so there's another last war that people have been trying Right. but if if you want to look for the area that there's probably some real risk it's in the single-family rent build for rent buying spree that's going on right now driven with low costs of money I pulled up a an offering that was at a hundred percent 105 percent loan to value based on BPOs which is you know the the brokers price opinions which are not as high quality as appraisals, right? So and, and it's already 105%. And and it was it wasn't a billion dollar offering. And I, I think it went through. It was it was just under a billion dollars. And 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 we're seeing more and more of that. As a matter of fact, I think that if you look at the performance for some of these guys, it almost doesn't matter what they pay for the houses. And so when when you Yeah and and then they can turn right around and borrow a hundred on their, on their entire portfolio and, and be paying nothing. And and the performance show, you know, Hey, things are going to be great. Rents are going to be going up a whole bunch for, for a year. So if there isn't, now there's, what are the risks of this? You know, first of all, these guys, the, the amount of money in it isn't that huge. This isn't one of these $10 trillion, $20 trillion mortgage markets, you know, that's going to take down a bunch of banks, but, 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 you know, they are buying, 20, 25% of all the houses out there right now. And, and so if, if, you, if you all of a sudden had a slowdown in the number of homes that they were purchasing, that would really slow down the housing market. And all of a sudden, where, where would we see that? In inventory. So the, the first places that would show up is all of a sudden people aren't buying everything that comes on the market. So there is a th- th- this is an area that I would be a little bit concerned about.
1: Yeah, that's really a great point. It's been quite a phenomenon the last 10 years and there's big money behind it. And some of that big money could change very quickly.
0: Right. That's what that's, that's the point is the, what I'm looking for is if there's a rapid change. I don't think that there's a financial crisis uh, component related to that, but there could be a rapid change in the buying pattern. You know, when, when those guys started really buying and Maybe two two thousand nine two thousand ten in some low low price areas and then really buying in twenty twelve twenty thirteen. I mean that made absolute sense to me. As a matter of fact, I knew people that were doing it. And and uh, I mean you clearly are getting good prices on the houses and you're getting good rents. And you know and there the and that it was at that same time that we saw a nice surge in rental demand because demographics were really positive for rentals, which is now they're switching over more to be positive for home ownership. That's that's been a key component of this of this frenzy that we're seeing right now. And 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 that's one of the things that sort of makes it make a little sense is there is this big cohort that's moved into the home buying age group.
1: That's for well, right, the millennials.
0: Yeah, and 10 years ago that cohort was in that renting, and and also at the same time you had a bunch of people who got foreclosed on they had to go live somewhere so they were renting. Uh, as in fact, I had a tenant that was, a got four post on and I was going great, you know, he rented one of my places and so, and, and was, you know, quality renter, you know, he, he just got, he just overpaid and, and got burned, you know? And so that, that's the area. And I think, I think what we'd be looking for is your data. And, and, uh, if we start seeing inventory coming up, uh, surprisingly, um, then, then that might be a flag.
1: That'd be it. You you mentioned it, like investors buying twenty five percent of homes right now, and I think. Are you using the folks at John Burns publish a number about that? Is that is I, that where you going?
0: I think that, I saw that number from
1: CoreLogic. Oh, CoreLogic. Okay, and I think correct me if if you think this is wrong, but I think that includes individual investors, not just yeah, the institu- institu- yeah, institutions. Yeah, it
0: does. Yes, it does. It includes individuals, and that's
1: actually an interesting thought. So from from our from our data, you know we can show our, our inventory chart that declines every year as more of those homes go from single family resale to, to rental properties. And a lot of that is, we've observed, is I- I- individuals buying the next house and keeping the first one as a rental property.
0: I see that all the time.
1: You see it all the time, it's, a great, it's been a great deal. It's been a yeah. really good deal to build your your little, inter, inter, your portfolio. And so one of the things that, you know, I think about that, even if money is no longer cheap and it becomes less of a good deal to do that for those individuals that have already done it, and maybe they have one or two or three homes and they moved and kept the others for, in, for investment, those are locked in forever at cheap money. So right. those, those yeah. aren't coming back on the market, right?
0: It rarely makes sense to sell them. Yeah. (laughs) That's one thing my dad always used to say. He goes, the only mistakes I ever made was selling.
1: Was selling. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Buy low, sell never. Yeah. And, uh, you know, very, very Japanese view, you know. I mean, they've been doing that for years. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, and that clearly drives up the property and it pulls a lot of properties off the market. That's one of the things we saw happen in that uh, 2011, 2012 period was a lot of these really low end properties. I remember that you could be picking up condos for around under a hundred grand that would be renting, that would be renting for, you know, you'd be getting 1400 a month on, you know, it was yeah. ridiculous. It's not. It was, it, Yeah. I mean, it, it was mind blowing. And, and so, you know, but, the, but that's not happening now. See, I don't know, you know, the numbers don't make as much sense today. So to me, and, and I look at, when I look at the demographics, I do think that there's been some household formation as people move out of, um, you know, maybe maybe younger adults living with their parents and stuff. But, but uh, that's not something that I think is going to sustain. So yeah, if- let's
1: talk about that for a second. So you've done some writing on household formation. We had a big surge. We've got the millennials. And then what's interesting, some folks like Ivy Zellman has, have talked about how they think, Zellman thinks that that you know, we've actually, we've been building enough homes. So we're not underbuilt. Right. What do you think about household well, formation, population and those trends in the next few years?
0: Well, the, you know, for, for, well, let me say this. First of all, El, Ivy Zellman's first rate. So first rate. When she speaks, uh, you, everybody should listen. You know, I think that the general view out there is you know, 5 million too few house, housing units out there. And she's coming out and saying, well, no, I, I don't think so. And and I, I, you know, first of all, when you talk about the number of housing units, a lot of it depends on the price. There's a lot of families that double up, that wouldn't double up if things were a little cheaper. So, you know, you you, you know, some of that depends on what price we're at. If if, uh, if rents were much cheaper, people would, have, you know, families would split. You know, and I'm talking, you see that all the time in, in immigrant families where they, you know, the the kids stay with their parents a little longer because everybody's trying to save money and help out, and everything. So, and and we, we'd see less and less of that. So, you know, there there is a price component to it. But my view is, is that the millennials are in the age group now of preference for home ownership. Not everybody, of course, but there's there. So it made sense. As a matter of fact, I think I first started writing about this in 2012 or 2013. Hey, we're going to get a real drive on home ownership around 2020. And and the first time I talked about it on TV, that people were just like, "Why are you even talking about seven eight years from now?" You know, and I'm going, "Oh, because well, you know, that's, it's always good to plan ahead a little." You know, and uh, but but now when you when you look at what's going on, where are where that w- that made sense that we would hit this move to home ownership, but that should have made sense that we would have fewer renters. But now we're seeing with rents going up and vacancy rates dropping, we're actually seeing more renters too. Where is that coming from? And that has to be these people moving out of their households or maybe some people getting divorced after the pandemic, unfortunately. So there has to but none of the reasons I could figure out for why we're seeing total household formation, both home ownership and rentals going up, none of those would seem sustainable to me. So I don't think we're going to get this push on household formation. Now, the, the millennials are still going to want to buy. Yeah, that's, that's going to be true. So there's going to be a preference for home ownership, but I don't think total household formation is going to continue to drive up like it did clearly in the last year. Even though we don't have the numbers I'm I'm inferring that from both home ownership demand and from rental demand. So I'm inferring that there must be household formation.
1: So, okay. Yeah. So, so you see a decline in the the pace of homeowners of, of, of household formation
0: which yeah, is I basically think, I think it's going to slow. And and remember over the last two years, I mean, back to back years of the slowest population growth ever in the US percentage wise. We shrank,
1: right? We shrank this year?
0: Uh yeah, I mean I, I think that's true. And and you know, I mean it's, you know, between the, the excess deaths and the the lack of migration, net mig- immigration and yeah, I mean we're it's going to be another tough year and and probably, you know, all through this I mean it's just it's just that's lower population. And, you know, so we're getting household formation without population growth, which is interesting, which means that we're going to see another drop in number of people in households. And that number comes out a year or two late, but but we'll start seeing that.
1: So at what point do we see that in our, some of the demand metrics in housing or, you know, starting to see some of the, you know, we had we've had, you know, Pandemic, both pandemic and economy-driven mo- and cheap money-driven household formation. So, does that hit in 2022? Like, is there second half of the year all of a sudden people are backing off? Like, is it that quick?
0: Yeah, you know the problem. The problem with housing is it moves slowly, or maybe that's good because it's all rear view can, mirror. It, Yeah. You can be very, well, you can be very patient. You know, it's, it's a, it's a slow moving. I mean, even when in 2005, I go on, when's this going to end, you know? And the flag of course was the second half of 2005 when the inventories really started increasing sharply. I said, okay, there it is now, now, and then prices started falling in 2006. So um, that's, that's why you know, the answer is I don't really know when it's going to happen, but I know what inventory will tell us. If, you know, it's possible that, that we could see this household formation go on for a few years at, at, at a very high level as people pour out. Because we did have record number of young adults living with their parents a couple of years ago. We know that when the, by the time we get those numbers, it's going to be less now. Where, where are these household formations coming from? It has to be a lot of it from that. But, you know, and, and that may continue for a few years. Then That trend may continue or it could slow that that's why the focus is always on inventory because if if you if if we start seeing inventory going up we can start asking why are, are the investors buying fewer homes are are these are this household formation slowing whatever the reason is but is it, it you know this isn't this isn't anywhere near like 2005 where i was going it's coming soon i just don't you know and then it happened. So, you know, we could easily go through 2022 and still have, have a, no significant increase in inventory. Although I I do think that by the end of this year, we'll be seeing year over year inventory increases just because it's so darn low. It's so and, low. And, and, I, and one of the things I'm watching your numbers for is if the bottom is earlier this year, more in a normal season, as opposed to last year when we saw the bottom in April. Yeah. I mean. I mean, that's insane. It's usually in January or February. You know, I mean, uh, I, I, it, going all the way to April was crazy. And, and that really was a sign that there was something going to continue. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, when you get to house prices, wow. I mean, is house prices, when you have record low inventory, house prices are going to still be pretty hot to start the year. Now, if we do see the inventory come up, then house prices growth will slow. I mean, that, that's just, you know, that's how it works. So, yeah. And I do I expect inventory to come up. I don't know if we'll get back to those 2017, 2018 type numbers. I don't think so, but, but yeah, well, my I'm looking, look, you know I pull up your numbers first thing every Monday. And then you know, I'm just looking to see if we bought them maybe in January or February, and then and then start seeing that year over year number, which is actually not been getting smaller, it's been getting bigger. The the year over year decreases. And I'm going, wait a second, what's going on here? It's really hot out there now. It's really a frenzy. Yeah. And in 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 January, when everybody's supposed to not buy houses, you know?
1: Yeah. I have two thoughts that I want to go on a pursue. First is is one of the things on that inventory number as a risk for future price declines that, that I'm not sure if you've done if you've noticed this, but for us in the Altos data. We could do, we could look at not just inventory levels, but essentially inventory per capita, or or flip it around, people per available home. And the more people per the the the, the more inventory per capita we could we could essentially plot a, a correlation of the 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 greater inventory per capita was there was not just not just inventory, you know, absolute levels, but right. but we could watch, for example, Las Vegas's inventory per number of people who live in Las Vegas was way out of whack compared to San Jose. And and so when the prices adjusted down, like the we could see that, that Vegas had more to adjust back in an affordability sense right. uh, than, than San Jose would. Have you ever looked at have you ever thought about it in that level uh specificity?
0: I, I no, I don't I don't really look at that level. Well.
1: So okay. Yeah, well, that's something I, we're going to keep for, an eye on. I have
0: for some local markets that I'm very interested in, but, but not generally.
1: That's and not funny.
0: anything I ever write about. So.
1: Yeah. And then I had another thought that I wanted to pursue there, um, which I will have to come back to because I've lost it now.
0: So We all get older, Mike.
1: Yes, I <laughs> know. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's like a mind like a sieve. So, so here's a question I have for you. Have, have you looked much international? Do you watch the markets internationally? Not really, you know,
0: I, 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 some of them are crazy. They make, they make the U S market looks normal.
1: And that's my question for you. So, you know, we know that inventory is tight everywhere around the world and that yeah, not everywhere, but you know, in in most of the Western markets, and prices are rising. You know, Canada's nuts, and so that says to me that you know maybe it's not an underbuilding phenomenon in the U.S. It's a it's a global phenomenon, demand driven. you have any thoughts on that? Are well, we know, that I've, unusual?
0: I, you know, I've seen the numbers for some of the other markets, whether it's Australia or Canada, and, and it and it does look. You know, and, and the, one of the problems is you have to really kind of understand the local market to understand what's happening. You know, I mean, in all of the Western world, population growth has really slowed. And so, you know, and, and it seems lending's pretty, pretty solid worldwide. So, you know, is it the low rates? I mean, that, is that what's driving it? Maybe, you know, when I'm thinking of investor buying, I, I mostly I'm thinking U.S., is there a lot of that going on overseas? Probably in some areas. So, you know, I, I don't really know. I, you know, I, I wish I had a little more time. I would look into some of those markets. People are always going, well, what about, you know, uh, Canada? What about, I, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I, and, uh, I, I do know
0: a little about China. But that was, oh, do you? That was we, yeah. You know, it's one, one of the interesting things in China is, um, you know, they, they build like crazy there. <laughs> and and, and uh, although they're starting to have problems now. Yeah. But when you build a condo building in China, uh, you don't build it out like you do here. You, you have a space. It's like an office building, kind of. And, and then the people who lease the space build it out. Well, they order buy the space. And so if, you're, if you buy, a, there's a whole industry there that comes in and, and builds your kitchen and bathrooms and stuff in buildings that are built by the original developer. And so, the, and, that, and the owner, does that so it's a completely it's a little different process in the u.s you know when you sell a condo in the u.s it's built out you come in you've got your your beautiful counters and everything's done right not not in, not in china and then what they do at least in, and they may have changed this recently but they don't tax they don't have a property tax if you don't build it out they only charge you if it's built out so what what a lot of people in china were doing was just buying these vacant condos and not building them out as a place to park their money an option uh, it, yeah they're, they're going hey it's it, you know i don't trust the stock market i don't trust this i don't you know look, they grew up under communism and still are and, and so they don't trust a lot of things but hey i own this space in this building and and uh, even though it's not built out and it's not returning any money it's that i own it and uh, so there was a lot. So people would always say, oh, look at all the vacant units in China. And I'm going, yeah, that's because people are parking money. So that's why you have to really understand what happens in each country. You know, it's, if th- that wasn't that wasn't this massive overbuilding that the developers owned all these. As a matter of fact, developers have sold them all. You know, so they go on to their next project. Now, there are some things in the last year or two that have come to the surface that are you know where people are over leveraged and and uh and they're having financial problems as we know but that's that's completely different i'm talking about you know seven ten years ago when people say china was going to implode. I'm like well, no they're not <laughs> you know maybe they will now <laughs>
1: maybe maybe they're at the curve yeah so many variables in the world and it's i would say that that you know the u.s real estate market is is so messed up that altos research has to exist if it had its, you know, yeah, but it's not quite so messed up that we can't exist. Like in some countries, like even in, you know, France, you got to know the guy who's got the listing like, you you know, yeah. you, you just, you, you, you don't know what's going on. It's really fascinating. Or like one company controls the whole market or, you know, yeah, we just happen to have a sweet spot of just messed up enough in the U S that, that uh,
0: <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's in the tight market like this, you know, there's plenty of pocket listings out there, every you know people pe- they never get to the market uh, you know if it's if it's somewhat reasonably priced it's you know the the broker's getting both sides <laughs> yeah
1: two- and, and what do you think of that trend that's you know we see it as we call it immediate sales where yeah. where you know house is listed and then it goes immediately in pending state and and yeah. you know the one of two things is happening either they they list it they take offers and and then they you know they they turn it around in a couple of days or they've already got their offers done and they just list it for a day or, you know, and then make it pending because oh. it's already done. What do you think about that trend?
0: Is that like, well, first of all, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessarily the best thing for the seller because I think it's, it is much better to get multiple offers, uh, especially in a hot market in, in any market. That's true. So I, I think that, you know, I do think that, that some sellers, uh, don't like having a bunch of people going through their house. And so, and so they, you know, they're willing to, hey, well, here's, you know, here's a good offer. And, and, and so they're willing to go ahead and do it without, without getting multiple offers. You know, they think, oh, that's, in, that's what my neighbor got. So that's good price or I'm getting a little more, whatever. So, but my, my view is I also don't think it's really, I don't think it's good for the for buyers. I mean, they don't ever get a chance to see these houses. I don't think it's good for sellers. I, I think it might be really good for the agent. You know, so I, I, I tend to not have a, a, a great opinion of that. I know it happens all the time. I see it happen all the time. So, yeah. uh, you know, and, and look, right now listings are gold. And the truth is they're always gold. So it, it, even even in a bad market, having a listing is it's, it's nice. Every agent out there knows that. So uh, I remember my dad, when he started a real estate agency a long time ago, he had two guys that were, it was a guy who was a gym coach and a woman who was just a real go-getter. And they were his top two agents. It, 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 my dad was a broker. And the one person, the gym coach, never sold a single house. What he did was he was friends with everybody with through their kids and and they would all list with him and uh, and he looked like he was a really active sales guy because he had all kinds of sales and all kinds of listings and the other woman she didn't get that many listings but she sold things like crazy and they were both making about the same amount of money you know and uh, i mean listening my dad used to say this guy's this guy's magic He just gets listings like it you know you know tell tell your parents that they're going to sell or he knows when the kids will sell and hey we're thinking move you know he'd be calling the parents you know and, uh, you know, so, but right now, my gosh, when there's no inventory, it, you know, every agent I know is, is saying, Hey, Bill, have you heard, you heard about anything? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Or the, yeah, the, the, all the techniques for trying to pull listings to market, you know, it is a good time to sell, especially if you've already got something else lined up.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's one of the things that's an interesting point because one of the things sometimes we see is, um, People don't want to put their house on the market because they can't find anything else. They're really worried. I, I actually have a friend who just sold something, and the people the people wanted to buy it, but they they you know they wanted to. It was really they were really nervous because they they wanted to make sure that they didn't want to list their house because if they sold it and then this didn't go through, uh, then they were going to be what living in their cars, you know. And and uh, so it, you know you. You have to make sure you know that's that keeps the inventory down because people don't want to list their houses unless, but you know that can work in the opposite direction too. Everybody will say, "Oh, well, now there's a lot in a lot on the market. Now I can list because I can I have things to choose from," you know. And then of course you can't sell, <laughs> you <know? laughs> and then you start getting all the offers that are coming in contingencies, you know. You're going,
1: "Oh, I wonder, like, are there?" Like, what's the way out of that for home buyers and sellers? Like, how do we? Like, what's the way to navigate
0: that this year? I don't know if I'm the right guy to talk to about that. I think you should. I mean, talking to some agents and brokers. I mean, they 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 probably have some good ideas.
1: Yeah, yeah. All right, let's switch.
0: Yeah, from an economic perspective, I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, let's switch back to the economics then. Let's talk about let's talk about the next ten years. What do we so we talked a little bit about household formation and that that's likely to uh decline, which could lead to which could be one thing in the next uh, few years, especially as, our, as the millennials age, we start to get a little more inventory and maybe as the boomers age out.
0: Uh, and well, well you know, I if you, I wrote an article kind of back in September, I, I, I think it was called The Next Big Shift. Uh, and I feel like it's kind of the same thing I did with the, the millennials coming for buying in 2020 is is if you if I look at my parents generation they, they, you know and it's not monolithic but people started moving into retirement communities around 80 and I I think it's going to play out somewhat the same way now you know I mean a certain percentage of people will always age that's always been the case. And and uh, some people some people move to retirement communities, whatever. But, but I think you start really seeing right around when people turn 80. And and the, the oldest boomers aren't 80 yet. They're, they're maybe 77 or something, you know, built yep. in
1: 1945
0: or something. Or 46 is the start of the boomer generation. So, you know, that we, we probably are going to see. And then, you know, the first few years of people turning 80s is it's when you start getting a bunch of people turning in, right? Uh, just like you're starting, you got a bunch of people right now going under Social Security, right? Because they're all in their you know, a lot of the boomers are in the '60s or '60s. So, what we'll probably see is maybe at the end of 2030, we'll start seeing more inventory. Now, this one of the interesting things is, is there's some real opportunities there. Not. We'll see inventory in good areas because that's where you know the boomers live closer to everything, right? They they bought long ago, and but we'll also see that that those home, a lot of those homes need improving. So there'll be probably be a real uh, improvement or mar- home improvement market going on. You know, you come in and you go, oh. and of course nothing you can do about a low ceiling, but you can you can you know re- redo the whole kitchen and bathrooms and make it more modern looking. You know, so uh, or maybe may, maybe you just do ground up. Um, and we'll probably and, and you know where I live, that's, that's the whatever thing that happens goes around here. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I live in a nice community and near the beach. <laughs> uh, but that, so we'll probably see um, that starting to happen towards the end of this decade, and that would be more inventory coming on the market. The millennials would probably uh, be moving up at that time. The homes that they already bought. So they'll be very, you know, they'll be, they'll they'll probably be wanting to buy some of these homes, it, not because they're great homes, but because they're in good locations, you know, and uh, and loca- and really location matters completely. So uh, you know, I mean, I, I, everybody makes it a joke, but it's really true. You know, there sure uh, is. Y- you want to be in the right spot, and you don't want to be on a busy road. And I, you know, last year I was telling people I, the prices made me uh, nervous, and because in if you look at price to income or real prices or price to rents, whatever you want to look at it, we're we're definitely expensive right now. But, but you know, I told people, hey, if the house makes sense to you, go ahead and buy it. But don't buy anything, you know, if it's on a busy street, it's always going to be on a busy street, you know. <laughs> Yeah. You know, if, if there's, if you're, if you're down in a goalie and have water issues, you're going to have water issues for the rest of your life, you know? So, I mean, there's, there's, there's defects that you can't cure. And, and so I would say, and that's when those houses move, by the way, in, in markets like this, you know, I know an agent in town who knows all the really crummy houses and he's out talking to all those people saying, Hey, this is the time to sell. That's and, an and,
1: interesting strategy for for yeah. an agent.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you you go, look, if your house is on a busy street, now's the time. When, when are people going to want to buy it right now? Because there's nothing else, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's other times when you can bring a house on that's on a busy street, and it'll just sit. And, it, and you and you just kind of cry, you know, because you can't move it, and you don't want to cut the price too much. Yeah, so, so now's the time for all the defective homes to come off the market, which means for the buyers, they need to be aware of that. You know, you you feel like you have to get in that fear of missing out. But don't buy a defective home. You know, buy a home that you can't, you know, you can't fix whatever the defect is, or it's yeah. really expensive to fix.
1: Yeah, I, people ask me, you know, do I buy now? Do I wait? What if it, what if I'm buying at the peak? What all these questions? And and my my rule of thumb is: if you love the house and you can afford the house, buy the house. If you yeah. can't afford it or you don't love it. Don't buy the house. Don't buy it because yeah. you think you have to, you know?
0: Yeah. That, well, that's, that's good advice because, I mean, if you can go in, you can afford it, you love the house. I always tell people, hey, if you can live there for seven years, you're going to be fine. You know, if you bought in 2005, see, I was telling people don't buy in 2005 because I was saying this is that, that you're really going to see prices drop. I mean, I can't make that prediction today. So, you know, but even if you bought in 2005, so what? <laughs> you're Right. If you like that if you like the house and and you were underwater for a number of years you're not underwater anymore. <laughs> that's, <right.
1: laughs> that's exactly right. And and the and the difference between now and then is that you have a 3% mortgage now forever and then if you got into a house you couldn't afford you you had an exploding mortgage and you right. couldn't afford it very quickly. And that's that's the difference. Like that does not exist anymore. And so if you can afford it you will be able to afford it probably forever
0: right and you know ability to pay was one of the big rule changes and even some of the loans like the non-qm loans that they still meet the ability to pay rules and so you you know that um young woman i was telling you about that bought that four hundred thousand dollar condo um i when i was asking her she was paying one percent teaser rate for the first year or maybe the first two years i'm like well I mean, they're basically incentivizing you to move into this place. I mean, it was less than she was paying in rent yeah. somewhere else, right? I mean, it, and I'm going, well, it's not going to be 1% forever. Even if, even in today's market, it would jump, it would triple, right? <laughs> Up to 3%, you know? So, yeah, I mean, th- 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 those these are not comparable periods. You know, on a graph that you see the house prices, yeah, they look very comparable. But the reasons behind it are very different. So, although it still makes me nervous.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes, because it has been so crazy. What do you think about what do you think about the, the pandemic migration, the the Zoom towns, the remote work trends that such a big deal? Does do places like like we observed, like I have a home in in Tahoe and you know it exploded with remote work from the Bay Area or Bend, right. Oregon or Boise. Does that continue? Does that does it crater? What what do you what do you see happening there? You
0: know, I, I really don't know. I think it's a it's a you know, the, people like to live in the cities for a lot of reasons. Work is obviously one of them, and that's the one you, that you're talking about for certain workers, white collar work? But, you know, you, we like to live in the city for other reasons, too. I mean, if, if you if you talk to people who live in New York, man, they just love New York. And, and you know, you go out to so many great restaurants, you've got all the plays, you've got whatever. We have a fair amount of that here, not, not to that level, of course. But, but, every city has those kind of amenities. So that's you know, yes, people gathered work, but I think there are people gathered to do social activities too. And so you know and and so, when you move to I mean going to Tahoe, I mean, I love tahoe, but but i I don't think I could live there all the time. i you know, you get a little island fever, you know. And maybe I could handle hawaii twenty four seven for three sixty five but but probably not tahoe and and look, I'd love to hike I'd love to ski so but but you know i I think I would go a little surcrazy. crazy i mean and, and I love the mountains the mountains yeah. are always calling, so you know it's it, it's just i i think it, it, you know and and look, certain people have moved to other strange places like idaho and and I know I know a couple that moved to Indiana from the Bay Area. They both could work remote, and they said, "Hey, we can buy this house for at, for pocket change." They wrote a check, and 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 they're they were renting in the Bay Area, and it was killing them. You know, I mean, so what a difference! Now, the their number one thing they were looking for was good uh, internet. <laughs> so, <laughs> so but you know the thing is, is they're away from their family. They're, the the area they're living in is a small town has good internet but but you know i mean maybe they'll love that maybe you know it's a younger couple so maybe they'll have kids and enjoy raising them there with a real yard and all that so you know i don't know i you know it's it's predicting all that behavior is really hard i mean will people work from home a lot more sure i mean that's that was a trend that was already happening for certain white collar workers i know a lot of lawyers who were working from home half the time already before the pandemic you know and it and, you know, so it's no big deal. They were already set up. You know, you can do it. You, you know. it so, yeah, I, I think I think it's a trend that will continue. I just don't know how much that will impact housing. I mean, you you look at New York right now, and New York, people are pouring into New York, right? Well, maybe not this month because of, of uh, you know, the new wave. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was, you know, it emptied out in March or April of last year. And, but, you know, that's all behind us. People at the end of the day,
1: New York is still New York.
0: And say, so, hey, where you you live in San Francisco, right? San Francisco is going to be San Francisco. Yeah, um, you know, I I think it's 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 sort of amusing that people have a negative ag- attitude to San Francisco because if you go to San Francisco, most of the areas you don't see bums, you don't see. I mean, there are areas where you do, but and and you know, San Francisco is beautiful with great amenities, and you know, and and uh, so you know, it's it's. It's kind, of, it's kind of amusing to me, is I, I've actually been in areas where there was a major news story and it was in a two-block section. <laughs> You're outside that two-block section. In, in in the people leaving, as soon as they're off camera, they they behave differently. You know, yeah. <laughs> so, and, you know. I I just I, every time I see a negative story on San Francisco, I just laugh. You know? yeah. like, That's not San Francisco. Well, I, I am say an
1: that. unabashed San Francisco propagandist. So, um, you know, I got, <laughs> yeah, uh, I but it will be fascinating. There's uh, like there's some real changes and things underway in San Francisco, and you know because the city and the the tech companies were so easy to be remote. They haven't really come back yet to in the downtown area. And so there's right. still some there, there's still some real things like that are, it's going to be fascinating to see. A lot of them were aiming for January and all of a sudden now the rules have changed again, so maybe right. January, maybe it's another few months. I think it's about to change. We signed a lease downtown and so it'll be really it's like, you know, 18 20 months ago, you you couldn't get it like it was not available not le- at any price and and okay. so you know so we signed one and you know i signed it in whenever it was august or september and maybe i was a little early on it but it was it's fine and i like being down there and, and so it'll be real it will be fascinating to see as we hopefully fingers crossed finally emerge from the pandemic um
0: but you know we, i mean we're talking about residential real estate but you know there some areas how uh, offices may really lag for a while you know you know leases come up five ten years or whatever and when those leases come up people may say yeah i only need half the space now because people are working from home a lot more yeah. um, and you know we we see retail is was all you know retail's been under pressure for years from from the online buying and, and uh, the pandemic just just really crushed retail you know so you know there there are sections of the commercial real estate that are struggling I mean, sure. you know, even even hotels are, you know, they're not back yet. They're their best customers, the frequent ones are the business travelers and 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 it's the leisure travel that's come all the way back. It's not the business travel. And because I think I think a lot and that says that a lot of people, business people, are doing Zoom instead of flying. So, you know, I mean you I mean you can't you still have to meet face to face and that'll always be best. But but you know, you can you can minimize it. Or at least for a while. Now, hope you know. Hope I hope you're right. The pandemic's behind us. You know, sometime this year. I was really hopeful at the beginning of last year when, when the, uh, you know, vaccines came out. And then, but you know, this year, you know, this may be a much more w- a mild variant. And and we we are starting to see some pretty good therapies, right? So with with uh, with those two combinations, we we could see a, a, some real progress. You know, I, I'm starting the year hopeful once again, you know. Once
1: again. But
0: yeah. Once again. Hey, mid year, we'll be all behind us. You know, I'll be out doing everything. And some of my friends are already out doing
1: it. Yeah. I, we are in, in my sort of community. And, and it was fascinating. We have been a lot of the year, you know, post vaccine, a lot of the year and a lot of gathering and, you know, really essentially no impact, tiny little bit around Delta. Like in, in San Francisco, almost nobody had COVID. The whole time. Until December seventeenth. And then everybody had it. And like all the rules changed. Omicron happened and and then it just exploded. Hospitalizations are very low still in San Francisco. Like all of those because the vaccine vaccination rate is so high. Um that that, you know, fingers crossed we get our curve down and we start to see some normalcy this year.
0: But you know, I live in Orange County and and we have some of the, the most anti-mask, anti-vaccine people on the planet. And, and it's, it, you know, we, so we do have problems occasionally it flares up uh, right now, of course. And, you know, hopefully they'll work our way through that. I do, I, you know, I am optimistic that the therapies are, are come. Those, those appear good. I mean, things get better and better. You know, if you look back at the AIDS crisis, say, I mean, gee whiz, it, you know, it, it was a death sentence, right? And Magic Johnson got it. And, I, and we were all going, well, you know, oh, no, he's not going to play the Lakers. Oh, no, he's going to be dead in five years, right? He's still around. So, yeah. and, and, doing, and healthy, you know? So that, that, we're going to see that kind of improvement on, over the next few years. Is, you know, we, this may be around forever, but it may be something that's, that's easily treatable or, you know, we get an annual vaccine or whatever, but no big yeah. deal. So, it, it, you know, if we're going to, somehow we're going to get back to our normal lives. <laughs> now, the normal lives may be very different. They may be more work from home kind of stuff. Interviews like this, uh, you know, and, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that we'll do that. I mean, a lot of good has come out of this. All the technology has been awesome.
1: Yeah, really. The the remote Zoom competency has been, I think, a real boom to, to the economy. I think it'd be really powerful. Yeah. All right, Bill. Well, I just have to say, I, I really appreciate your work with calculated risk. Your your analysis and insight is always so cogent and, and independent. Like it's, you're coming at it to saying, tell me what's going on as opposed to having a book to talk. And, and I think it's obvious that, you know, you've been doing it, for so long that you get, you've gotten over the years a lot of attention for that work. So I just wanted to say thank you for doing that work, and thank you for joining us today. So I know you're doing, so we have Calculated Risk, the blog. Is calcul- calculatedrisk.com, is that the URL?
0: It's calcul- calculatedriskblog.com.
1: Blog.com. And you're doing a Substack now.
0: Yeah, I'm doing a newsletter too. Just so to what,
1: where can people uh, find that?
0: It's calculated risk Substack. So if you go to my blog, it's right at the top where you can go get the newsletter. I, I, write, I write an article three, four or five times a week, depending on, on how I feel. And, you know, it, it's, it's, I started doing that just because it's more of a focus on just real estate. And why? It's kind of the same reason I started the blog. Real estate is really interesting right now. <laughs> so there's something happening and I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I remember when I started thinking in 2005, man, this is, this is a bubble, in this lending, but how can people lend money? People don't lend money. To, I wouldn't lend money to lose money, right? And, and it was really when you started figuring out how the whole process worked, you said, oh, well, here's how it is. Everybody, It's little hot potatoes, you know? Watch, watch the movie Margin Call. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're going, oh, no, we're stuck with all this junk. For thirty days, you know, we got to get it off our books, you know. Yeah. And that—that that was all, you know. People were just—it was the hot potato. If you, you know, the, the the mortgage broker would hand it off to New Century, New Century would hand it off to Bear Stearns, Bear Stearns hand it off to some investor, and everybody go made money on that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's so fascinating.
0: But, yeah, when it ends, you, everybody gets stuck. <laughs>
1: well, we're in a very different space now.
0: Oh, completely different. All know.
1: right, Bill, thank you so much for joining us today. Any last yeah. words? Well, thanks so much for having
0: me, Mike. Uh, I know I just ramble at times to so cut all that out of.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love your insight. I love your 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 take uh, on all the data. I appreciate the work you do. Hey, and, I, uh,
0: I really appreciate you sending me your data too. it's it's awesome. so it it really to me it's it's incredibly useful. just, you know, I go through, what you send me every week but i but you know the inventory obviously i focus on it. yeah but uh you know and and i keep waiting to see that market you know index change it seems like it's stuck It seems- know, <laughs> like a meter stuck or- <laughs> it cooled off a
1: little bit in the fall but now it's turned around and come back up again
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah and for for listeners you know if um if you follow the Altos research video and the week the work we do every week. If you follow Bill Calculated Risk on Twitter, you'll actually see him scoop us each week cuz he always publishes his his Twitter analysis earlier in the morning than I get on Mondays and then we get our data out. So so you can actually follow Calculated Risk for, some, for that insight as well.
0: Sorry to scoop you, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for having My pleasure. me. It's been it's been really fun, to have
1: you. Thank you so much, Bill. Okay, bye. Take care. Thanks for listening to Top of Mind.
0: See you again next time and be sure to click subscribe to get future episodes.